Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Can you hear me? <laughs> what? Oh, there are kids' programs. Where are they, Lauren? Upstairs. And downstairs. So if you're a kid, go upstairs or downstairs. I've been thinking a lot about freedom lately. It's the partiot, the parshas, the portions that were in these days in Exodus, MLK weekend last week, and of course the political sort of uh, spirit um, that can feel oppressive. And I wanted to, I wanted just for us today to reflect together on freedom and what it might mean in very concrete ways. And I'd like to start, if you permit me, with a, a story of my childhood, um, which I often do. Just um, somehow it's, it calls me. So when I was a little girl growing up in Brooklyn, I'm so lucky I grew up in Brooklyn, just to have this echo. I love playing outside on the streets. There was a real kid street culture, and I roller skated and I wandered through people's back, backyards and I rode my bicycle over the Verrazano Bridge and all the way to the Rockaway Beach. I mean, it was just a sense of freedom. And then every day at 6.30 p.m., my mother called me in for dinner. And that was the end of my sense of freedom. <laughs> it was a real... Um, contrast to how I felt roaming the streets and adventuring with my friends, which I don't see kids doing that much these days. They seem to be outside, inside adventuring on their screens. Um, but there was a real contrast to going indoors to a place where I felt, to tell you the truth, constrained, shackled, um, without much of a sense of voice. So this is not the place to go into why. I've just spent 20 years in therapy doing that. <laughs> but it does lead me to think or want to sort of explore with you about like what, what is freedom? I, lately I've been hearing people talk about their families and their relationships and I know two people who feel so shackled in their relationship that they can't leave because they're afraid their partner will do serious self-harm to themselves. Self-harm. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we feel shackled in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Family issues, are sometimes our work life can feel oppressive, and often much worse than that. Um, there are you know, issues of poverty and racism and you know, I, I could go on and on, but I, I just want to make the point now that there are many levels of feeling unfree, and it often begins with ourselves and our homes. And of course, it doesn't end there. What I'd like to do with you today is read the beginning of our Parsha, read some of our portion, and open up certain moments in the text which may give us a window to what freedom is or could be in our own lives. So if you can open up with me on page 351. Page 
And I'm going to ask for a volunteer to read a few verses in a really loud voice. If you could read the English, I'll read the Hebrew. Yes, Alan. So, v'yidaber Elohim el Moshe, v'yomer elav andi Adonai. So, God's I statement. This is who I am. Right? This is my name. And we're going to see more about that name in a moment. Okay, I'm sorry. Stop there. So in Hebrew, the Eira, El Avraham, El Yitzchak, the El Yaakov, the El Shaddai, Ushmi Adonai, Lo Nodati Lahem. So the name of God, El Shaddai, is a really interesting name. We first see that name in Genesis, and the word Shaddai, many scholars say, is related to the word Shaddaim, which means breasts. So this is God of the breasts. So what does that mean? So El Shaddai is the fertility God. And if you look back at Genesis, you know that this is the book of barrenness. Right? This is the book of infertility. And God intervenes the way God um, sort of takes reality and turns it upside down and, in a sense, makes people free is through giving barren women the gift of birth. Right? So that's how we have the Israelite family. The whole book is a crisis of infertility, or most of it, and then God intervenes and opens up the womb. But in this book, that God is no longer enough because this book is the, um, it's the birth not of the Israelite family and not of, it's not the creation of the world or the birth of the world, it's the birth of the Israelite people. So now we're meeting a God, yud heh vav which will intervene on the stage of national history to grant freedom and liberation, right? A whole different kind of God. And one of the reasons I love the Torah is that it presents, it teaches us so many names of God. And each name of God is really dependent on the moment and on the needs of that moment. And I wanted to read you a poem about that by an Israeli poet uh, whose name is Rivka Miriam, and I'm going to read it in English. And Yonatan, I invited an, an Israeli who can read it to us in his native tongue, in Hebrew. He will come up and read it in Hebrew. So here it is in English. I spread out the names of my God before me on the floor of my chilly room. The name by which I called him, for her it's a him, when he blew breath into me. And the name by which I called him when I was still a girl. The name by which I called him when I was given over to a man. And the name for when I was again permitted to all. The name by which I called him when my parents were my roof and the name when I had no ceiling. Ceiling. No roof, no ceiling. Yonatan? Parashti lifanai et shmot elohai al ritzpat chadari hakrira shem shekarativ bo ksharuchon fachbi ושם שקרתיב בו בהיותי נערה. שם שקרתיב בו כשלאיש נמסרתי, ושם כשלכל שוב אני מותרה. 
שם שקרטיב בו כשהוריי היו גג לי, ושם באין לי תקרא. So I'd like to take this moment to invite you to reflect on what's the name of God that you need in this moment. And if you're not comfortable with the word God, especially not with a capital G, and um, there is something in the universe that you call upon that you're more comfortable with, I invite you to give voice to that. Right? No enforced God language here. And I'll, I'll begin. So the God that I've been looking towards of late is the God who grants human beings the gift of language, the gift of speech. God, please open my lips and give and, and let my lips utter your praise. Robin, if you could stand up, if you don't mind, and in a loud voice, thank you. Hope and truth. Did you say one more? The God of Emmet, the God of truth. And Tikvah and hope, thank you. Yes. Beautiful, thank you. So the God who affirms diversity and connects all of us, right, in some kind of unity. Yes. So the God for whom you offer gratitude and you want an answer about what you can offer in return. Thank you. David. Thank you. So for our community, for this moment of time, to heal any rifts that might exist in the community and to heal whatever individuals need healing around this pain and whatever pain exists. Thank you. Yes. I did. You have a good memory. <laughs> Mm. 
So what if God, first of all, was not a noun, but a verb, something moving through us, and that energy of forgiveness? And what would that feel like? It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Wild, divine, feminine goddess, you said? Love it. Thank you. Juliet. So the God that gives us strength to achieve justice. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah, Jason. So a little God energy and Shabbat energy during the week. Yes, Rabbi Mira. So the, the, the So the God that hears your cry but doesn't answer the cry, instead it's the God that pushes you forward. Wonderful. So one more, and then we're going to go on to one more moment in the text. Yes. So God is inner light. Thank you. So I'm going to skip in the interest of time and land us in, um, if you look into your Torah, we're going to go to, um, ah, into verse 12. Actually, let's go from verse 10 and read a few verses together. Alan, do you mind continuing? Okay, stop there. Wonderful. Thank you. So in Hebrew, um, So Moses wants to know, how could Pharaoh possibly listen to him? If, if even the Israelites don't listen to him. And the, the, um, the, the Hasidic masters, and as far back as the Zohar, have, um, they have this beautiful understanding of what's going on here. And they call the state of slavery voice in exile. So there's all kinds of communication problems in this story. 
We have a Pharaoh who doesn't listen. We have a leader, Moses, who cannot speak, who's afraid of not being listened to. And we have a people who's groaning, but who don't really know how to speak. Right? So Moses is arel spatayim. The word, he, it's literally uncircumcised lips. And the, that, that concept of orla, or foreskin, does not, you know, we often think of a brit milah, and we have a mohelet amongst us in the back, <laughs> Judy sitting in the back, um, as, you know, it's, it's a mysterious ritual. But if we look at other places where we have the orla, it applies to the lips, the ears, and the heart. And what it means to have an uncircumcised heart, lips, and um, ear means that we remove blockages. So it's really a spiritual concept. Right? We remove blockages between ourselves and our God. Right? So what's so if we think about this system of slavery, it comes down to a problem of communication, a congested container, a stifled system. So one can think about the plagues as the wordless means of God to get the Egyptians to hear and get the Israelites to understand who God is, right? Because when it doesn't come through language and it's, you need to understand things, it can come through the most painful possible, painful, painful, you know, um, means possible. And in this case, as a series of plagues. So if we think about a congested container, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm going to ask people to answer who haven't yet spoken. Um, what removes blockages to communication? What can allow us to hear? What can allow us to speak more powerfully? So just a few quick comments on that before we come in for a landing, as Rabbi Ingbert would say. And, and feel free to take the time you need to, to reflect. So again, if you've spoken before, just some restraint. I want to hear people who haven't spoken. Yeah, Yiska. If you don't mind, do you mind? Yeah. So say more about that. How does that, how does that facilitate communication or listening or speaking? So I love that idea. So Yiska's um, introducing to us the notion of vulnerability as facilitating communication. And it so fits with the story because God, uh, because Pharaoh can't hear because Pharaoh has a hardened heart, right? Which is the opposite of vulnerability. So thank you. Yonatan. So to connect the two of you, which feel very much connected, the vulnerability it takes to name your needs and be honest about that. So it's not about being right, but it's about somehow communicating who you are to the other person. Thank you. Elliot. Uh, no, I was going to say it's about 
So somehow to have the courage or to feel safe enough to go into the constricted places with a sense of love, so to carry you through. Yes. So it's not only about the voice, and it's not only about the head, if I can add, but it's with my, it's communicate with my whole body, right? With, with everything that I am. Beautiful, thank you. Yes, Judy. The absence of judgment. The absence of judgment, that's a big one. And we could say Pharaoh represents the opposite of that, right? It's all about judgment and perfectionism and control and, and not letting go. Okay, any other? Yes. Karen. Loud, Karen. So Karen's, in contrast to what Yiska was saying and Yonatan was saying, I think, is questioning whether vulnerability really does facilitate communication. Is that right? No? I see. So it's the fear that comes with vulnerability that can get in the way. I see. Got it. So along with vulnerability, it takes courage and persistence to communicate successfully. Thank you. Yeah. Arthur. And your and your yeah and and increases the flexibility needed, and and perhaps um, sort of strengthening the muscle of courage by taking risks. Yeah, Mallory. Combination of vulnerability without the judgmental jerk. <laughs> Love that. 
So I, I often think when people say, don't be afraid, I'm like, like, or, or don't do it until you're not afraid. I'm like, I'm afraid all the time, right? To me, it's courage, courage is doing it anyway, right? Courage is stepping forth, even though you're terrified and you'd rather be under your covers. So I see a lot of hands, and I can't see the time. Is it 1130? Okay, I have a couple more minutes. So I'm going to ask people, invite people, or encourage people to be really succinct, and then we're going to wrap up. Anna. So Anna's saying that you can't really force communication, and we can be as proactive as we want, but we're not always ready, which seems to me to introduce two more ideas. One is the humility of knowing that it's not totally in your control, and patience. Okay, yeah. Good. I love that. So humility as really an essential ingredient of, of freedom and emerging into freedom. Yeah, Jesse. So that, that actually connects beautifully to what Karen was saying, right? Not, not defensive, not so fearful that you can't say what you need to say. Okay, we're going to have to wrap up. So um, I'm going to take, I think, three more, and I'm going to ask you to be really short. Yes, Nishama. Being present. Hmm. Be present to what you need to say and to the other person in front of you. Okay. Yes.
beautiful. So speaking and shutting up are both important to communication, right? So when to shut up and when to speak and when to listen, right? And when to let the other person find their voice, right? There's a beautiful um, idea from Nell Morton, a 20th century feminist, um, who says that we listen one another into speech. Listen one another into speech. Okay, last comment. Gotcha. Beautiful. So um, thank you for helping me wrap up. Uh, so let's connect then who we reach out to in terms of the source we need to be vulnerable and courageous and to be listeners, not only speakers, and how we connect to one another, right? The strength we need to connect and how we connect and, and the quality of that that requires compassion and vulnerability and humility and all the many amazing elements that you named. So for all who want to increase freedom in the realm of communication and the practice of such so that we can develop that muscle, this Aliyah is for you. <laughs>